Hello and welcome to the Calibre Audio Book of the Month discussion. This month we're discussing A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls. My name is Emma Scott and I'm Head of Editorial for Calibre and I'm joined today by David and Denise who I'm going to hand over to introduce to you. Hello, I'm Denise James and I'm Calibre's Editorial Coordinator. Hello and I'm David Hobbs. Uh, I'm a narrator with Calibre and I had the great pleasure of narrating this book for you. So that's us um, and we are, as I said, we're going to be discussing A Gentleman in Moscow. This book begins in Russia in 1922 where we meet Count Alexander Rostov, who's been brought before a Bolshevik tribunal and deemed an unrepentant aristocrat and so is sentenced to house arrest indefinitely in the Hotel Metropole where he's been residing. Uh, he's been removed from the luxury of his suite and banished to smaller attic rooms and we journey with him um, throughout the years as he learns to live with his confinement, meeting a colourful cast of characters along the way. So um, our first impressions of this book, if I throw it out to you, to you two, what sort of, what struck you immediately about the book? Did you, as soon as you met Alexander Rostov, did you find that he was a um, really colourful character? Did you, did you like hearing about him straight away? I didn't feel, at the beginning, I didn't feel any great sympathy with him. Um, his confinement, after all, was in a luxury hotel, but I was intrigued to find out how things would go for him, given that he was, uh, you know, he had been confined and he wasn't exactly a popular person with the Bolsheviks. But I very much warmed to him from the beginning when he had to move from his opulent accommodation to one very small room and had to decide which of his things he could take or not. But he took it in good heart and was actually very positive. From, from the beginning, he, he saw it almost as a project and he was going to make it the little room livable and he talked about the different cherished objects he would keep while the others would be stored or taken away. And the whole idea of him setting out his, his things, making himself comfortable, but, you know, he's very much reduced in his circumstances, you know, his account. But, um, and he, he's quite philosophical about it. And he talks about, you know, things are only things. And that's quite surprising coming from someone that had his upbringing and all the great advantages that came with it. Yes, well, I was similarly impressed with the Count. Really, I, I was engaged with him right from the start. And, and what, what really intrigued me was, was this leap from his, what had obviously been a life of luxury, right from his upbringing to this moment, and, and the way he just embraced being without all his luxuries, you know, would just make him feel the person he was. That was the way I felt about him. I do remember that I recommended this book to one of my friends, and and she loved it. And she she said to me one day, she said, "I think I've fallen in love with Count Rostov," and and I could understand why. Really, I think his his personality just um, sort of allowed you to. To feel him and become involved with him, it was it was quite remarkable. What, one of the things I don't know if you noticed this, 
But I think one of the clever tricks that Mr. Tolls had was was the way he could expand and compress time as as the book went on. So to start with, the chapters in the book advance in in an almost binary way. So to start with, they they describe events one day after his arrest, then two days after, then five days, ten days, three weeks, six weeks, three months, one year, two years, four years, eight years, and then 16 years after. And then from that point on, sort of the middle of the story, he he, he does the opposite and and decompresses time so that when when there are long periods with not a lot happening, he hasn't actually spent a lot of time on those, but you don't feel that you've missed anything. And then when you get to the intriguing bits, sort of later on in the story, when things are hotting up, um, you, you, you get all the details again. I thought that was quite clever. I hadn't noticed, I have to say I hadn't noticed that. I think the events do happen from, uh, I think it's 1922 when we first meet him at the tribunal, don't we? And then um, it goes up to 1950, I think. It's a great deal of time, and it's a great deal of time for him to be in confinement in the hotel. Um, I just wanted, so I, I must admit, as I was reading it, one of the things that struck me um, was he, Count Rostov, says partway through it, he's got a, I think it's his, his godfather, the Duke, um, who says, if a man doesn't master his circumstances, then he is bound to be mastered by them. Mm. And I felt like he was very much living by that throughout the, because it doesn't, it starts and he sort of resigns himself to the <laughs> confinement. And he, as you say, the, the attic rooms become his place of residence and he starts to, to make them his home. But they're obviously a lot smaller than what he's, he's been used to. Um, but then he he does go through a bit of a, a sort of depression period, really. So he's, he he tries tries to make the most of it, and then obviously the reality of his situation is is he's struck by. But that all kind of changes, doesn't it? I think when he first meets the uh, five year old Nina in the hotel, um, and she has a massive impact on him. What did you think about her arrival and how that then changed the count for the for the story going ahead? Nina was was the little girl with a penchant for yellow, wasn't she? Yeah. As described, <laughs> and and the way she comes across and and um, sort of sits at the count's table when he's dining, all all the sorts of things that that we would regard as impolite behaviour in Nina just seemed to make her an attractive little girl, and and he warmed to her um, really because of that, and they and they became these close friends. Yes, I think that the point in the novel when we start to get a bit of humour um, uh, it is quite funny some of the things she gets up to especially the spying on the uh, political business that was going on in the ballroom from the balcony and she invites the count to come and spend some time with her on the balcony and both times he manages to split his trousers and then the other thing was they like to play, oh no, was it her? They like to play Zoot, the game. <clears throat> no, that was with his oh, daughter, that, wasn't it? That was with Sophia. Yeah. Yes. So an, another little girl appeared further down the line. Um, again, they have a very close relationship. Uh, and, and this book is all about 
close relationship with various people throughout the hotel, including the staff. And although his account, he's quite egalitarian in his outlook. You know, he doesn't look down his nose at anybody and he takes them at face value and um, values their friendship. And he loves to converse, he can talk to anyone. To a great extent, his, his manners and his gentlemanly behaviour help him. But at the end of the day, it's his true character that comes out, regardless of what his beginnings were. But that's a big part of the book, is his relationships with the people in this one place. Some of them are transitory and others are long-lasting with the members of the staff. I think it's also a way of his coping, you know, because the, that unit, it becomes his family. Um, and and Nina, Nina, I think, is quite, um, she, she's a, a big part of, of his journey, really, because what I think she does is gives him, in, in a sense of where, where he's confined, she gives him a bit of a sense of freedom, because obviously he then sees through her eyes um, that the, the hotel in a different light, because she's off wandering about everywhere and getting into things and finding back passages and finding shortcuts and going down to rooms that he's never been into before. And um, he's, he, she really gives him this sense of, of um, yeah, I guess freedom in a, in a world otherwise that's, that's not, he can't go outside and he can't experience. So, and, and she gives him a great gift as well, doesn't she? So that gives him more freedom to roam around the hotel, um, which is, is, great i thought and then obviously they get get stuck into a few more um shenanigans after that which is really refreshing and really interesting and from there the the whole family thing evolves because you then you, you know the the you've got the concierge um the maitre d the chef so that these all they all become um lively characters uh, marina the seamstress as well and they all actually because of the family, they say it takes them, um, when, when later on we meet the second child that appears in Count Russell Plus, who's Sophia, um, they sort of say, don't they, that it takes a village to raise a child. And, and I think that's kind of what happens in that in that effect, because Sophia becomes all of their, their children, really, um, and she's looked after by them. So it's a, those, the, the backs are in, and, that, and you think, uh, the thing that struck me as well is because it's only, the setting really, it's only in one place largely, you know, for a large part of the novel. Um, and you think you might get a bit bored, you know, you think it might sort of be, oh, but, and nothing happens. But so much happens, doesn't it, because of the time it's set in um, and because of the history. And the Hotel Metropole seems to be a gathering place for a lot of the, um, you know, the, the the generals and the the, the, um, the commissars and the, the people that are, are coming in from from the political world, and that struck me as well. On because this is the second time I've I've read this book, and I think that I didn't really the first time I read it, I read it for the story, so I read it for Count Russell, and, and though politics is huge through it, and Russian history is peppered all the way through, so you do feel like you're learning something. But I didn't pick that up as much as I did on the second reading. I was paying more attention to that. And, you know, as you say, where uh, Nina and, and him was spying on all these official meetings that were happening and, and that sort of thing. So I wonder, in terms of that and the, the, the politics side of it and that the, what, what you thought of that and what did, did you feel like you were learning as you went along as well and how, how intrinsic that was to the novel and to Count Rostov 
you know, his sort of, again, his journey along the way, how, how you felt about that? Well, perhaps I could talk a little bit about two of the characters that, that, that appear on, on that side of things. The first was the former Colonel of the Red Army, wasn't he, um, who, who becomes the Chief Administrator. His name is Osip Ivanovich Glebnikov. And and he was a he was an awful character, really, to start with, very threatening towards the Count. He he asks the Count to teach him really good manners in, in English and French so that he can become more at ease with, with foreign dignitaries when he meets them. And and the Count takes to this task with, with some gusto. And 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 this takes place over a few years. So they they develop, I thought this was quite intriguing, how they they develop first of all a mutual respect uh, for one another, but but that turns into friendship, and and the friendship becomes apparent when the count, on his one occasion, leaves the hotel briefly when Nina's daughter Sophia um, suffers an accident in the hotel and has to be rushed to hospital, and he, without thinking, just rushes with her, and and it's really Ossip who rescues him from that dilemma of you know you should be inside the hotel and you're outside it so that gets resolved so that was that was rather nice and then of course he he comes into the story again later on as well but the other person that intrigued me the the, the story of how um, nikita khrushchev came to be in power um and, and i hope your listeners won't mind if i just mentioned that that has a bit of a personal attachment for me because uh, in in the late 1950s my my father met mr khrushchev um on a business trip my father was on a business trip in in moscow and he and a number of other people from britain were asked to make themselves available that evening to attend a dinner and they didn't know what it was going to be but what it turned out to be was a dinner with mr khrushchev and he sat at the head of the table and all the uh, the guests sat um, along the two sides, and it sounded quite similar, really, to the the U-shaped arrangement of, of 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 the table that's mentioned in the book, where Mr. Khrushchev places himself at the head, and and thereby sort of stamps his authority on on things. So that that was that was very interesting for me. Yes, the historical side of things was, was interesting to me as well, and it made me want to go back and look um, elsewhere at, you know, a, a broad picture of what happened in the 20th century in Russia and remind myself, um, and then to see how these different events played out on individual people, lots of different kinds of individual people that we then come across in this hotel setting and the people that uh, the Count meets. So you've got Anna Urbanova, the um, film star, who starts off uh, quite humble beginnings. Then she becomes very famous in Russia in the time of the silent film. But then when the talkies come, uh, her popularity wanes because her voice is quite deep and resonant and not, I suppose, feminine enough, perhaps. Uh, but eventually, you know, her fortunes turn again and she becomes well-known for her roles in theatre, playing more mature women. Um, and then we have Mishka, 
become close friends from the university who he met uh, when when they were at university. But Mishka is from you know lowly beginnings as well, but they are very close. And we hear about Mishka's life and the things that happened to him throughout the book. And, and yes, it, the historical thing is, is really interesting, but it's also very clever the way he doesn't dwell on it in any great way, but obviously it has an effect on the characters. I think with as well that you mentioning Anna, the, the film star, um, what struck me is sort of peppered throughout, and I guess it gets it gets more as the story goes on, are references to you know, great authors and works of literature and um, even films, you know, towards the end, as David was saying, with him meeting up with Ossip, um, and they they go from books to films, so they end up sort of discussing um, books in a big way, and then, then after that, eventually, they, they start on the great, sort of some of the great American films and things like that. They go all through Humphrey Bogart, don't they, eventually end in with Casablanca, and that was that fact, you know, the, the references to the, the Russian uh, authors, so the Tolstoy and Chekhov and Dostoevsky. And I've I've read a I've read Dostoevsky before, um, and one of the others as well that he mentioned. Um, but I, I sort of it kind of that sort of thing. Whenever you have it mentioned in books like that, it always makes me sort of a little bit greedy that I, I kind of want to go and hunt them out again, or hunt them out for the first time to sort of see um, what they're you know what they're talking about. I don't know. If, that made you feel because I'd never seen Casablanca either, and I thought, oh, <laughs> that's probably one of the ones that yeah, you should you should definitely have said that you've you've seen. Um, so it kind of made me hungry to sort again. Then that's when I really know I've loved a book is if it makes me want to investigate afterwards. So if there's a period of history or uh, you know someone that's mentioned or, or, or a place in time or whatever, and it makes me want to go and and find out more about that, um, which which really struck me with this. And the cultural references definitely, yes, I agree. It makes you want to, you know, follow through and, and uh, read them or watch them yourself. But the thing that came to my mind, I so like the setting of the hotel for a novel, and it gives you so much scope. But having said that, you know, it's not just meeting the people. The author's plotting is incredible. You know, it's seamless and, and it's very clever. But going back to the history, um, the hotel theme, it made me want to go away and look at other books that are set in the hotels. And I've come up with a long list, so I think there's going to be an article at some stage about other books set in the hotels. <laughs> Probably starting with Arthur Haley and the hotel. <laughs> It's interesting, actually, that you mentioned the hotel because I felt very much that the Hotel Metropole was a character in itself. So, you know, it couldn't, it couldn't yeah. not be, really. And the, it made me... I don't know, I suppose it's a bit... But I, I just think that the whole... Um, in a world that, obviously, outside the walls, there was a lot going on. Um, but inside those walls, it was the absolute air of respectability and decorum and... Um, you know, things were just so, so people were served in a particular way and it just, it felt very refined and very, um, it, like a, I suppose a little corner of the world that was um, just untouched and, and very, you know, somewhere you could relax in and, and it just, it felt, yeah, it, I, I, really, I really enjoyed all those descriptions from, on my back, because we get very, very, you know, there's food centres a lot really around this novel, isn't it? Even from the, the Count, you know, he tells us what he's had for breakfast most days as well. 
Um, and then, interestingly, um, rather than being, uh, you know, he could very easily become a victim and, and sort of wallow in, in what he's he's been sort of dealt, really. But actually, he kind of thrives after a while, particularly after meeting Nina and then going on from there. And he ends up um, getting a job, doesn't he, within within the hotel. Um, as and, and actually, he's perfectly suited. We almost see him going into that role because even as he's a guest and having dinner, he's looking at people and observing people and saying what wine would go with what dinner and, and, and that sort of thing. So he's obviously a connoisseur of, of food and, and drink. And so slipping into the kind of maitre d' element of it um, and, and the waiter sort of, you know, being a waiter just fits really well, doesn't it? He's in with his character and it's interesting that, yeah, he, he sort of, and that helps him to sort of make his day go round as well. I, I love the, the hotel. I love the description of the hotel. And, and, and really, I wish I could ask Mr. Tolls, you must have stayed in the hotel, but, but for how long? Because I don't know about you, but I've, I've got a very clear idea of the layout of it, what the rooms look like. I've, I feel I know, I know the hotel. I mean, I've never been there, but I just feel I know it. And, and I just wonder how well Mr. Tolls knows it. I, you know, I, I have the feeling that he must have stayed there for weeks and weeks and weeks, but it'd be intriguing to know. I mean, perhaps it's from his imagination rather than from, from experience, but whatever it is, he's, he's managed to convey such a, a, a vibrant and vivid impression of the place um, that, that that was really uh, very impressive. And we talked about Nina showing the Count parts of the hotel that he, he wouldn't normally have seen as a, as a guest. And of course she does that because she has this master pass key, which is central to everything, but we're never told how she got it. And we don't need to know. It's very, it's very clever how we, we, we don't actually need to know that. Just the fact that she has it is the relevant thing, you know, and that just works, works very well, I thought. As regards the hotel, I had to do a little bit of research on the author because I was intrigued, you know, where did his knowledge come from, uh, you know, his interest in Russian history and the food. And I wondered if he had any relations that were Russian emigres or whatever. So I didn't find out very much, but on Wikipedia, it said that in his previous job, he spent a lot of time in uh, grand European hotels, and he became fascinated with them. And he learned a lot about them and hadn't realized that a lot of them had permanent residents who had been there for many years. So I, it seems that might be what sparked you know, some of the story anyway. What I found as well with the book, um, I don't know if it struck you, but I sometimes felt like I was reading a novel within a novel because there's certain, it alludes quite a lot of the time to. Um, uh, little excerpts of stories or myths or fables, you know, that they, they, Count Rostov um, will, particularly I think when he's talking with Nina and Sophia um, and, and entertaining their sort of um, childish kind of uh, whims, really, um, and he'll come up with a, a story from long ago and start, and, and I got totally absorbed by that. That, that. I felt like, you know, he was telling me a story, so I, <laughs> I felt like, the, the yeah, the character was then... Um, uh, involving me and that's that's the other thing is is that I didn't feel I really felt like I was really I was so uh, absorbed in it 
that I sort of forgot I was reading a novel. It was almost like it was being played out in front of me, um, which I thought was so clever. And that was just, I think, the author's really very deft handling of, of the characters and bringing them to life because they they all felt like I know in the within the book they talk about characters that obviously existed in his like Khrushchev um and you know the literary authors and that sort of thing but actually the the characters I was reading about I also felt like they quite feasibly might have existed you know it was that sort of yeah just re I was really just convinced um throughout it all which is is again another way of how I really enjoy books really if I if I can get that invested in it Yes, I think with all the characters, we don't just learn about them. We get to know them, don't we? We know he gives us tiny little insights into their uh, into their characters. And think, I mean, I love the character of the willowy actress who he has an affair with, or she has an affair with him, really, to start with, doesn't she? And and but then uh, they become lovers, and they, you know, it's a, and it's a it's a it's a real true love. But there's there's little little snippets like um, it seems whenever she's preparing for him to um for him to make love to her she she drops her her silk dress it's always a silk dress isn't it with it and it falls to the ground with a gentle whoosh <laughs> and i just thought that was that was lovely i mean that tells you so much of what's going on in there with with so few words very clever but that's actually another thing i i thought was the his just his descriptions of things. So you were instantly transported where he was describing um, the orchards of, was it Nitsi? Um, oh, I've forgotten my... Nitsi Yeah, that's it, where he was there and, and the, um, you know, there's just the sights and the smells and so you were instantly there. Um, and that, I thought the author just had a real command of being able to describe something very succinctly and, and give you that setting um, so that you, yeah, you, you became immersed in it totally. There's so interest in other, other residents of the hotel coming there as well, because he goes up onto the roof and meets the handyman, Abram, and he spent his childhood in the same place and knew about the apples and the apple trees and you know the fairy tales and, and what they did with children. So they shared a lot, even though they were obviously there in very different circumstances. Another part of the storytelling theme. Yes, of course, he actually went up on the roof with the intention of committing suicide, didn't he? And it was it was the the gentleman with the bees. Um, I've forgotten his name actually. Um, who prevented him from from carrying that out because the bees had returned with honey, and the honey tasted and smelled of the apple blossoms in in his home part of Russia. That was quite quite um, forceful. So whilst we're not going to um, spoil the ending for those that haven't haven't managed to read it yet, um, what I would say is that for me, I, I don't know about you, but um, I didn't really see the ending coming until right, right. Well, it all sort of happens very quickly, doesn't it? Right, right at the end um, in terms of the action. Um, but I think it really. For me, it just—it's it, as it should be. So it felt—it felt right. It felt that, that that should be the the right outcome. Um, and I don't know if you know how how you felt about that at all. But it just, to me, it rounded off the story perfectly. Yes, when I when I narrated it, so which was the first time I'd read it, I think I said at the time that the the story that the ending was satisfactory because it left enough to your imagination to be able to finish the story for yourself. Having come back to it and 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 read it again, 
I mean, I, I don't see what other ending there could have been, really. I think he's he's got it spot on. And yes, okay, you you still need to imagine a little bit what happens. I mean, he doesn't set it out in black and white exactly what's happened, but you you know what's happened, and you can see the some of the consequences of it as well. His relationship with Sophia has that ended or has that not ended? Even exactly where are they? That's 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 open to a little bit of interpretation, I think. So it's, it was an intriguing ending, um, but to me, yeah, a very satisfactory ending. Yes, there was a, a real twist in the ending that, uh, that took me by surprise. You could see that things were afoot. He was making all these little plans, but you didn't quite get to hear what they were exactly. And I, I enjoyed that, and it, it was very satisfying. And he didn't go too far, but it, yeah, it, it was surprising. So that seems like a good place to, to end the discussion there. Um, unless anyone else has anything else that they just want to add uh, that we haven't covered. I've got one question for the author. And I wonder why every single word in the chapter heading apart from the prepositions and the pronouns, begin with an A. I don't know if you do know the answer, but... No, I hadn't even noticed it, actually. <laughs> so um, I think it's for us, it's a bit of a resounding um, thumbs up, really. Uh, we all very much enjoyed this, this book. And as I say, um, on a, even on a second reading, it, it, it held something else, add something more to offer. So um, if anyone is interested in listening to it, then it is available in Calibre Audio's collection. So please do seek it out. Um, but in the meantime, uh, if I just say uh, thank you very much for listening um, and it's a goodbye from me and I'll let Denise and David say goodbye as well. Goodbye. Goodbye. And I hope you listen to it and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Lovely. Thank you. And we'll um, see you again uh, next month for the uh, Book of the Month discussion uh, then too. Okay. Thank you for listening. Bye.